Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Um, But this is going to be a series that's called Christmas Spirit. So that's what we're going to be in um, today, and that's where we're going to be beginning. And like I said, all of us, some of us are real excited. Some of us are kind of stressed about Christmas, and it's kind of, you know, hard. But I think it's really interesting, like, there is so many things that begin to fill our calendars around this time of year. There's so many things that we start to plan for. Um, For instance, is anybody planning to have a white elephant Christmas gift exchange? Yep, good amount of you guys. How about office parties? Any office parties on your calendars already? Yep, those are some traditional things that happen. There's lots of different traditions. Uh, Making cookies with your family, driving around neighborhoods, looking at the Christmas lights, all the different Christmas gifts that we get one another and are excited about for Christmas Day. Um, Traditionally, there's a lot of churches that do candlelight services and communion and stuff like that, and we look forward to that stuff. And this stuff really takes up a lot of our time, and I think it's really interesting because, well, some of us are super excited. You guys raise your hands. A lot of you love it. Some of you guys are stressed. Regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, everybody's life is kind of taken over by Christmas at this time of year. And why that's so interesting to me is because even though all of our lives revolve around Christmas time in this Christmas season, and Christmas itself is celebrating the birth of Jesus, a biblical event, Christmas is not actually a command to celebrate in Scripture. So it's interesting to think about because even though we all do different elements of celebrating, somehow it's not a command. There's not instructions on how you're supposed to do Christmas. There's nothing like that. So that makes it kind of hard because this series is called Christmas Spirit, The Heart Behind the Celebration. And while that's the name of the series, there's a lot of different ideas about what it means to have Christmas spirit. There's a lot of different thoughts and plans behind what it means to know the heart behind the celebration. There's movies and all kinds of stuff telling us what the heart really should be. But really, what's the truth? And it's kind of hard to narrow down, like I said, because there's not a specific thing in Scripture telling us how we're supposed to do this. So when we approach Christmas and Christmas season, kind of need to narrow it down and kind of narrow it into some like finer details that we can cling to. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. What I'm going to do is we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So you guys can start turning there. Verses 22 through 33 is what we're going to focus on. And what I'm going to do is as we go through it together, we're just going to read it verse by verse, and I'm going to break it apart and kind of give you the deeper details of what's going on. And then once we've made more sense of what's happening in this narrative, in this story, this true thing that happened, once we break that down, at the end, I'm going to give you guys two takeaways that tie to Christmas and tie back to the scripture that we just were studying together. So that's kind of the game plan, so you know where we're headed. Um, We're going to start off by reading verses 22 and 23, but just I want to let you know what we're jumping into so you kind of have an idea of what you're looking at or else it'd be real confusing. Um, What we're jumping into is Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and they're going together to the temple in Jerusalem. So that's where they're about to be, and they're about to be there for a specific purpose. They're going to be doing some things. So let's jump in here and start to, to check this out. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, 
Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Okay, so these first couple of verses, there's several things happening. Um, but ultimately, if you boil it down to the most simplest thing, Mary and Joseph are trying to honor God and be obedient to the law or the commands that God gave. That's what they're doing. So there's two things that they're actually going to be doing, but we're going to break them apart separately because this first thing that they're doing, that they're trying to be obedient to God, there's all these commands that God had given. You can look back through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and in Deuteronomy. There's all these different things that God said, hey, all of my people are going to be obedient to all these different laws, and they pertain to all different aspects of life. So one of the specific laws is found in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. And that law has to do with the firstborn child, firstborn male child of every family. And the command is that that child needed to, uh, basically the family of that child would need to come to the Lord, to his temple or to his, the tabernacle, which is where the Lord met in the older, older books. Um, but you'd go there and you had to give this offering of five shekels. So that's just a, a little bit of money. Today it would correlate to like $1.50 or $2.00. So it's not like a ton, but that was the, the command is that you'd bring this and that was a way of honoring God. It was a way of being thankful for your first baby. As a family is just starting and getting off the ground and as God is at work in that, it's the spiritual recognition of God, this child's from you. God, I want you to be honored. And the idea is that you, the word specifically, if you look in Exodus, is that you are consecrating that child. So what that means is that you are setting him apart, that he's holy, that he's like for the service of God. So that's what they're doing. They're honoring God with that. They're being obedient to this command from Exodus. And then it goes on and it says a couple more things. Read with me verse 24. It says, and they're there to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is a different law. This one comes from Leviticus chapter uh, 12, verse 8. So in this one, this has to do specifically with the mother of a child. So this is another different law than the other one. But this one, what's supposed to happen is the mother of a male child. There's a separate kind of variation for uh, a daughter if, if they had, but for Jesus, male child, you'd have to wait 40 days from the day that the baby was born. So Jesus right here is 40 days old. They would do this on the 40th day. He's a little old, older than a month. And what happens is the mother, it's specific to the mother, but Joseph is going with her as well. They go in and primarily the most optimal way, Leviticus says, is that the sacrifice would be done with a lamb unless the family is really, really poor and can't afford it. And if they're really poor and they can't afford a lamb, then God would accept these two doves or these two pigeons. So what happens is, clearly, Jesus' family is very poor. They're not, they're not well off. So they come in there, and their way to sacrifice is going to be with these two birds. And the two birds are going to have two separate um, kind of sacrifices. One is a burnt offering, which is a way to honor God and like say that they're thankful. And then the second one is a sin offering. So this doesn't mean that childbirth is like sinful. That's not the point. Um, really what this is and what it's supposed to be emphasizing is that it's been 40 days since Mary or any woman who had their child had been in the temple. So what they're doing is saying, 
We're coming in, and this sin offering is to just clear the air. It's a clearing or a cleansing. Any uncleanness, anything they maybe did do wrong, anything that, any separation that they might be feeling between them and God, it's cleansed, and it's this moment to say, hey, we have unity with God, and there's nothing between us. We're on good, common ground with God. It's sort of like a reset. And the important thing to understand about these two commands, these two laws that they're following, is that for us, when we read it, it's just like a bunch of like regulations and rules. And we kind of think of it as like, oh, you got to just do all this stuff. But that's not how it was for them. Um, for them, in their time and in their culture, at this specific point in history, this was a very big deal, something very spiritual, very weighty, very special. This is something that Mary and Joseph probably would have been thinking about before Jesus was even born. They were thinking about and preparing for that day. It's something that would have been like a very exciting day for them because it's a milestone moment in their family's life and in Jesus's life and, and their child's life. So for them, as this moment's approaching, you can imagine that it's not just like they check their calendar and they're like, oh man, it's 40 days. We got to run up to the temple. We got to do that stuff. It's not that way at all. For them, it would have been they're thinking about it and they're excited about it and they're, they're ready to do it and they're walking into it with this nervousness and this anticipation and this excitement about thanking God and it's going to be this big moment for them. And the closest thing that I could even think of culturally that we could compare that to, I want you to be able to kind of put yourself in their shoes and understand the weight of the moment, is probably like a wedding day. So for me, that's the thing that I think is the closest for me that I can relate to it with. It's my wedding day. My wedding day I knew it was coming beforehand. I was preparing for it. I was excited about it. I was definitely nervous in the moment. I was full of anticipation, but it was not just those feelings. It wasn't just about those feelings. I also recognized a really heavy spiritual weight to that day. Like for me, I knew like I'm making a covenant between myself and between God and between my wife, and we are unifying under his plans and his authority, and we're going to be together for the rest of my life. And this has a lot of meaning. This is a milestone moment in my life. So the way I felt that day, that's similar. It's not exactly, but that's similar. It's the best example I can offer you guys of how Mary and Joseph would have been feeling. So I want you to go back and just put yourself in their shoes. It's 40 days. They're walking up with their five shekels. They're getting ready to get their, the pigeons they're holding Jesus. Interesting thing is that Jesus didn't actually technically have to be present for that. There's not a rule or a regulation that the baby has to be there, but they're bringing him anyway. And they're bringing Jesus in there with, with that, and they're excited about it. There's joy. There's nervousness. They're like, oh man, what's this going to be? We've never done this before. How's this going to work? This is a big deal between us and God. Look at all the things God's done. They're thinking about all these things. And in this moment, as they're walking into the temple, some interesting stuff starts to happen. You want to read on with me in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So some interesting things that we need to understand about this guy. There's a new, new person being brought into to this story. And this guy, Simeon, a lot of people speculated maybe he was a priest because he's in the temple. Maybe he's an important citizen. He's noteworthy. There's not really a lot of evidence for any of that. 
Really, all we know is what's talked about him right here. And even his name, Simeon, is a very, very common name back in this time. So there's not a lot that we can know fully about his life. He's most likely kind of a, a stranger. He's sort of a nobody in the, in the town. Nobody really knows who he is. But there's some important things about this guy that make him unique. And they're mentioned right there. It said that he is righteous and he is devout. Those words are really important. The word righteous means virtuous or um, obedient to every command. So that's talking about the law. So the law we talked about that Mary and Joseph are trying to honor and they're trying to be obedient to, all of those other laws that, that God has given, Simeon is very, very attentive to them. He keeps them. He he's makes sure that he is on track with what God's commands are. And then that second word, that devout, that it described him as, that word means to be careful and sure. So not only is he just doing all of the commands, his heart is very thoughtful in them. He's slow and making methodical in the way that he goes about them. He wants to make sure that what he's doing really is honoring God. He's not just flipping with it. He's not just kind of throwing things out there to check his box and say he did it. He like wants God to be honored. His heart is very close to wanting to worship God in an authentic, meaningful way. So this guy, Simeon, says that he's righteous and he's devout, but he's waiting for something. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the consolation of Israel, that's like a figure of speech to say the Messiah or the Savior, the, the, the promised, prophesied person who's going to come and is going to restore Israel and bring ultimately salvation to all of humanity, and he's going to bring life, and he's going to bring all of these different things. Ultimately, he's going to um, change everything that is going on around them. All the damage that's been done, all of the destruction because of what sin has caused on the earth, this Savior is going to come, and he's going to take all of that back. He's going to fix it and restore. He's going to bring life. So this has been prophesied for a very long time. Again, you can go back and you can look. There's prophecies in Psalms, there's prophecies about it in Isaiah. There's allusions to the Savior all the way back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, talking about the very first parts of history that are recorded. So what's crazy is Simeon is waiting patiently, but excitedly and expectantly for this Savior that's been talked about. He wants this Savior to come. He's ready for this Savior. And what's interesting about this guy, Simeon, being righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, hopefully expecting the Savior who's going to come, says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's a big deal because this is happening before the Holy Spirit had been poured out to all people who follow Jesus and believe in him. So at this time, the Holy Spirit being on somebody is a really big deal because that's not just happening to everybody. That's not Everybody doesn't have that kind of access. So what we're seeing is that Simeon, in this moment, having the Holy Spirit impressed on him, he's, there's a uniqueness to the way that he is following Jesus and his heart, or really following God, but ultimately waiting for Jesus. There's an authenticity to it, and God is honoring that in a really significant way. So then we learn these things, and it goes on to say in verse 26, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he gets this promise from the Holy Spirit that's impressing on him, a promise that he's not going to die until he sees that Savior that he's waiting for. 
till he sees him face to face, he won't, he won't perish. So this would have been a really big deal to him, especially given the fact that he is so excited and expectantly waiting for it. And he gets this promise, and we're not told how long ago he had been given it. It could have been a week prior to this event. It could have been several decades. We don't know exactly. Most scholars really believe that Simeon was probably really old, given some of the language that's going to be used here in a minute. They think that he had probably been waiting for a really long time, but we don't know exactly. All we know is that he has been waiting. He has been waiting patiently, looking, keeping his eyes out, listening to the Spirit, saying, where, where is this Savior? I'm ready for him. I'm excited for him. So he's waiting. And then finally, something crazy happens. Read verse 27. In the beginning of 28, it says, And Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the customs of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and began to bless God. That word bless God means to praise. So like he's ecstatic. He's like freaking out. So why don't you again, just zoom out a little bit, put yourself in this scene. Imagine what's going on. You have Mary and Joseph and Jesus being brought into the being brought in the temple, walking in. It's this big moment for them, this milestone. Like, it's a big day. I mean, it's not a small thing. They're excited. They're nervous. They're wondering, oh man, how is this all going to go? We've never done this. This is big between us and God. This is big for Jesus. All the things that Jesus is, all the things that have been prophesied about Jesus, we're holding him in our arms. They walk into the temple and this random stranger who they don't know kind of comes through on the side being led by the Spirit, it said, that's super important, that he came into the temple because of the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit there, and he locks his eyes on that baby. And the Spirit reveals, that's the one. That's the Savior that you've been waiting for. And he walks up, and he takes the child up in his arms, and he starts to praise God and bless God for this incredible thing. Now, on the surface, I don't think it's a problem to acknowledge probably would have been kind of weird for Mary and Joseph. Who's this dude picking up our kid? If this happened today, we'd probably be calling security on Simeon. But he picks this child up, and for them, what he starts to say reveals to them that this is a big deal. This is a bigger moment than just like some crazy guy. This guy, some significant going on. And he picks up the child, and he starts to praise God for him. He's thankful for him. Go on and we'll read verse 28 and a little bit further. Look what he does. It says, And he took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So what he's saying right here is he's saying that, God, you fulfilled the promise you gave me. The promise that you said that you would let me see this, this Savior that I've been waiting on, this consolation of Israel, You've, you've accomplished it. According to your word, it's happened. And he's saying, I can depart, your servant can depart in peace. And the language that he uses there is really cool. It's actually a language that like a soldier would use um, to describe like them standing at their post waiting to be relieved of their duty to move on. What he's trying to hint at is like, I've been waiting. I've been steadfastly standing here expecting expecting and waiting for this Savior. I haven't left. I've been keeping my eye out. I've been hopeful. I've been expecting. I've been excited about it. 
And Lord, now today, it's accomplished. You've done what you said you would. And the language he uses there, not only is it the language of like a soldier, if you look at the, those original words, servant means slave. That's the word that's used here. And then the word depart means to be set free. So it's cool because he's saying, God, your slave, your follower is being set free from his post. I have peace. I'm tranquil in my heart because of what you've shown me, because of this moment, I know who this child is. And the reason why I think that's really cool is because there's like a double meaning. Not only is he talking about God has, has fulfilled his promise that he would get to see his savior before he sees death, but also there's the meaning of what Jesus is going to do in the grand scheme of humanity, where we are all slaves to sin, where we'd all say, I'm a slave to sin. I need to be set free. And the only way to do that is through that savior. And then we can have peace with God. It's like that double meaning. He's saying, God, this slave can be set free now and go in peace. Not only because of the promise, but because of the grand thing that Jesus has come to do. And just as a little side note, when he goes on, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is just a kind of cool tidbit. Doesn't really have anything to do with what we're going to talk about later. But if he was speaking Hebrew, which we don't know what language he was speaking necessarily, but if he was speaking Hebrew and he says that moment, my eyes have seen your salvation, he would have said, said, my eyes have seen your Yeshua, which is Jesus. That's the same word. Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua, they all mean the same thing, just different languages being spoke. That's, that's Jesus's name. So even though he may not have known what Jesus's given name was, he knows in his heart because of what the Spirit has, has given him. And he says, God, my eyes have seen your salvation, your Yeshua. I'm holding him in, his, in my arms. It's just this kind of special, beautiful moment. So in this moment, he's holding him, and he starts to say some different things um, about, about, uh, about Jesus and about his life. He's starting to prophesy that that Holy Spirit that's impressing on him, that led him to go to the temple in the first place, now he's starting to speak through that Spirit that's, that's giving him words to speak. And he says some interesting stuff. Verse 31 and 32 says, uh, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now he's shifting gears a little bit where he was super excited personally. Look who, the, who I get to hold. This is my savior. This is who I've been waiting for. Now he's saying, look at though what this baby means for the whole of humanity. The word that he uses when he starts to talk about how um, that this has been prepared in the presence of all people, the language actually means to be right in front of the face of, like, like touching, nose to nose. The idea is like, it's not hidden at all. So what he's saying is like, this savior, the salvation that you've prepared, God, that we've been reading about, we've known about since the beginning, this is being done in front of everybody's face. It's not behind a curtain. It's not hidden away. It's not for one small group of people. It is in front of everybody. Everyone can see it. And then when he goes on and he talks about how this child is being prepared in the presence of all people is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So that word Gentiles means anybody who's not Jewish. 
So any nation or any people group that's not Jewish, not a part of the, the nation of Israel, that would be a Gentile. And he's saying that this child is a light of revelation to them. So what he's implying there, the word revelation, he's talking about truth, a disclosure of truth. And he's implying that these Gentile nations have been separate from God. They've been in darkness. They haven't known truth. But now this baby is a light on all of the nations where only Israel was really being interacted with by God and shown God's commands and God's heart personally. Now, every single nation, every human on the face of the earth, whatever, whatever nation, culture they come from, background, they will have access to the light of God and the disclosure of real truth. And they're going to be able to experience that truth because of this baby. And that's a really big deal because back at this time, a lot of people didn't view the Savior that was going to be coming as being for everybody. Um, there was a lot of political thoughts around who the Savior was going to be. There's a lot of nationalistic ideas around it. And even if you fast forward to Jesus's life, give you a little kind of example of this. Jesus's own disciples, the 12 disciples that follow him, they don't even understand who the Messiah is supposed to be and what kind of Savior he is. They're looking for a political leader a guy who's going to overthrow Rome. They're looking for someone who's going to reset the, the kingdom of Israel and be this incredible leader. And Jesus is the king over all of Israel, but he's a lot broader than that. He's a lot bigger than that. And what he has come to do is not only to lead the nation of Israel, but to lead humanity into the kingdom of God. And that not only to do that, but to disclose truth and life to all of humanity. And what's crazy is that Simeon knew that. Well, so many other people should have known and could have known because it was in the word. It's in these prophecies. It's talked about. They lost sight of it, but Simeon sees it and he says, this baby is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And he goes on in that last part, he's for the glory of the people of Israel. What he's getting at there is just that the fact that God would choose to use Israel as the people that this savior would rise up from, that's really cool. That's a, that's a thing to be honored by. That, that's, there's glory in that. So he's saying in all these statements, the, the ultimate heart is what, he getting, what he's getting across is that this child is going to make an impact, a ripple effect, a stir in people's lives that goes far beyond just this place we're in right now in, in Jerusalem. It's going to go across the entire planet. It's going to affect everybody. That's a really big deal. And his, his eyes, Simeon's eyes, are very clearly outward, outward focused. So Mary and Joseph hear all of this. They're listening to this. They're probably a little bit shocked and taken back. And look what it says that they do. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It's not that they didn't trust that Jesus was the Savior. They had heard these things given to them from the angel about who Jesus was. That's not it. Really what it is, is that they are taken aback by the weight of this moment. Like I said, they're already coming into there, into this time with, it's a milestone moment. It's like a really big deal. And now on top of that, the big deal that that day already was, now this guy who they were not expecting at all, this person comes out of the woodwork, Simeon, and begins to speak these incredible things about who Jesus is. And for them, it's like, whoa, this is amazing. They're in wonder and they're shocked by it. 
It's just this beautiful scene of God revealing what he is going to do for humanity and what he's doing through Jesus. So share all of that. That's the deeper situation that's going on. That's the, the background and the, the kind of context of what we, we read. But I know what you're thinking. Okay, how does all of that tie to Christmas, though? How does all that apply to that? Well, like I said, Christmas is not a command that we celebrate. Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus, it's not a thing that we're told to do. So when we look at what are we supposed to do at Christmas time, really we have to dig in and look at some details and, and align our hearts and see, well, what, what, can we, what can we do with this? What is going to be the best thing that we can do? And as I said, this series that we, we've gone into, we're starting today, is Christmas Spirit, The Heart Behind the Celebration. And the title of the message is The Heart Behind the Celebration. That's what I want us to get into. And what I'm going to do is tie these two takeaways with you guys. They're just pretty short and quick. These two takeaways are going to be tied to that title. So Christmas Spirit, that's where I want to start. First takeaway I have for you guys is the Christmas Spirit is not a feeling, it's a being. Christmas spirit is not a feeling, it's a being. And this is tied to Simeon, the way that Simeon um, came into that temple and why he was led there at all. So Simeon, like I said, is one of very few people that we can read about who was expectantly waiting and listening for when Jesus was going to come, when the Savior was going to show up. Very few people talked about like that. And again, it's not because there's something special about him. Anybody could have known. There's a lot of scribes or people who studied the word. There's a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees, the people who are familiar with the law, the, the religious leaders at that time, who are very familiar with the word, who are teachers themselves, who could have known. But where are they? They're, for the most part, a lot of them, they're caught up in these theological arguments amongst one another. They're caught up in these debates around the, the meaning of certain scriptures. They're caught up on their own personal accomplishments and what they're going to achieve and being noteworthy to the people who are around them. And because of that, they completely miss this. Meanwhile, Simeon, essentially a nobody, is there. Why is he there? Because of the Spirit. The Spirit leads him there. That's what we read. It said that he came in the Spirit to the temple. This man, Simeon, is led by the Spirit to go there in order to meet his Savior face to face, to see Jesus, to see the hope of the world, the comfort of the world, the one who's going to restore all things and bring resurrection and life. And he gets to go there because of the Spirit. So my point here is that Simeon didn't show up there at the temple because of a feeling. He wasn't like, you know, the lights around the temple this time of year are so cool. I love that. I'm going to go up there and I just want to take it all in. He wasn't like, you know what? When I walk through the streets and go up to the temple, it reminds me of being a kid. I love smelling the cookies in the air. I just want to do that. I'm going to head up there. This, I love that, that feeling, you know? That's not why, Chris, why he goes. That's not why he heads up there says that he heads up there because he is led by the Spirit. That Spirit, the Christmas Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. It's not a feeling, it's a being. 
And the reason this is so important is because no amount of lights, no amount of gifts, no amount of hot chocolate, no amount of fun Christmas traditions, no amount of nostalgia is ever going to be able to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. None of that, those things, as fun as they might be and as exciting as they might be and, and enjoyable as they may be, not saying that they're not any of those things, but they will never come close to bringing the joy and the life and the truth that will come from being led by the Spirit to see your Savior face to face, to see Jesus in a clear way, to see the work that he is accomplishing around you in a clear and tangible manner. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And if we're caught up in all the feelings and all those things, we're going to completely miss it. So we need to understand that the Christmas spirit is not a feeling, it is a being. Now, Simeon, like we talked about, he knew the impact of Jesus. He knew what he was about to do over the course of his life and what that meant, not only for Israel, but for the entirety of all of humans' existence forever. He knew what that was going to be, and we talked about that. He knew the impact that Jesus would have, but we today get to live in the fruit of that impact. Where it hadn't all happened yet for Simeon, it has happened for us. Look around you right now. Look how many people are in this building. There's another service that we had a little bit earlier, about equally sized amount of people. You guys realize where we live? Thousands of miles from the temple that this began at. We live in another nation. We are not Jewish people, most of us. Yet we are here impacted by Jesus. We are living in the fruit of that impact, of the truth and the light of Jesus going out to the entirety of the world. And when we look around and we see all of these people from different families and different walks of life and different backgrounds and different states and different nations even, and we see, wow, look what Jesus has done. Look at the impact that he has had. How incredible is it? How intricate the Spirit of God has, has woven around this planet and made such a deep effect on every single person. Our lives, our trajectories of life are completely different. Where would we be if he hadn't come? We wouldn't be sitting here. Where would our families be? Simeon understood something really interesting. And this is the second takeaway. Jesus' continued impact is the heart behind the celebration. Jesus's continued impact is the heart behind the celebration. Simeon could see, and he talked about, how families and different groups and cities and nations were going to be impacted. He saw that clearly. But the center of his prophecy, the things that he talks about here, were on how Jesus would impact everyone. That's what he's getting at the heart at. And why I want to draw that out is because for Simeon, that prospect of just the general impact of how broad a scale Jesus would impact, that was exciting for him. And that was eye-opening for him. And that brought him great joy to realize. And as I studied this and, and looked at this deeper, I encourage you guys to go do this too. It's kind of interesting. Go back and look not only at what Simeon says here about Jesus, go look at the other prophecies that are given and the other statements about Jesus that are given prior to this. The angel speaking to Mary, about what Jesus would be and what his name would be. Um, the angels who appear in the sky to the shepherds to tell them about Jesus being born and that they need to go see him. 
Joseph being spoken to by an angel. You go back, you can look in Isaiah 9, look at the statements there talking about the coming of Jesus. Every single time he's talked about, he's not talked about in a super personal, individualistic way. He's talked about in a broad scale impact kind of way. What this baby is going to do on a really large scale across people groups and nations and societies, how they're going to be affected. And the reason why I want to kind of hint on that is because at Christmas time, what we often do, and this is not necessarily wrong, but what we often do is make it essentially Easter part two. So I want you to think about this. A lot of times at Christmas, what do we do? We say, oh, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus was going to be born and then he's going to die on the cross and pay for our sin. And it becomes a moment of self-reflection where we say, man, where am I at? And we begin to reflect on our own life. It's this self-assessment time. And we're thankful to God for what we've received from being saved from sin. And that's great. That's a really good thing to do. But we wind up just doing that same thing around Christmas time. But what's interesting is anytime you do look to scripture at the things talking about the birth of Jesus, it's not really emphasizing that personal element. It's emphasizing the broad scale element. And why I want to share this with you guys is because there's something really cool about Christmas already that's baked into culture. It's very communal. It's very relational. Like a lot of you guys raised, you're going to have white elephant parties. You guys are going to be at office parties. You guys are going to be having dinners with your family. Um, Use those opportunities to take the time to talk to one another about, man, look at what God has done in my family unit. Look at what God has done in this church. Look at how God has impacted our city. Look at how God has changed because of his impact in our individual lives. Look how broad a scale that's actually touched. Give you guys a personal example of this. This Christmas, what my family is going to be excited about and celebrating is our household's a little bit eclectic and different, but we have people from all over the place. We have um, some guys um, who were in the military who have lived with us. Currently, a guy from San Diego who is here and lives with us because of the work of the Lord in his life. We have some friends back from New Mexico who live with us right now. Friends from Arizona who have been led, led here by the Spirit. And we are together, not because we just felt like it, but because of the Spirit. So when I look at my house, I'm able to acknowledge like, man, how crazy is this? That we're all here together. That's, that's the impact of Jesus. When you look around this room, how crazy is it that we're all in here together? We probably wouldn't be at all if it weren't for Jesus. How amazing is that? And then not only to look at the impact he's already had and focus on those relationships and how they've all been touched by Jesus, but to then also look at, look at all the things Jesus still can do, things he has yet to touch, but he still can. That's where Simeon's heart was, is that this baby's going to impact everyone. So for us, it's a moment to reflect on, wow, look at how societally and relationally and familially and church-wide And nationwide, look at how Jesus has affected this. Look how different this is. This is something to be thankful for. It brings joy in life. But also it's a time to look at, look what he still can do. Look what he still can touch. And if we're in the Christmas spirit, the Holy Spirit, and following his lead, let's see what he's going to do. Let's see what he's going to go further and impact, who he's going to impact. Maybe he's going to lead you if you're walking in the spirit to give a gift to a coworker and share the love of Jesus with them. 
Maybe he's going to ask you just to talk to somebody. Maybe you should be walking in an excitement for what hasn't happened yet in your family, but you would love to see Jesus do in your family structure. Who knows what it is, but it's this time, separate, different from Easter, where we're very inward. Christmas is a time to look outward and be thankful for what he has done and thankful and excited about what he still can do. So for me, when I think about these things, these things that we learned, that the Christmas spirit is not a feeling, it's a being. And when, when we talk about that Jesus' continued impact is the heart behind the celebration, I believe that that is the Christmas spirit. And I believe that that is the point of this series. And that's why we're doing these different things. That's why at the end of um, these next couple of weeks, instead of having a Christmas Eve service that's very traditional and very normal, we're going to be doing things a little bit different. We're going to clear all these chairs out, like Breezy shared with you guys earlier, and we're going to have tables all set up in here, and there will be games, and there will be different snacks and stuff like that, and and stuff and fun will be happening. We're going to sing together and worship God together, and we'll read the Christmas story, just just read it out. But really what we're doing there is putting Jesus at the center and spending time together talking about that impact that Jesus has done. Very family-oriented. And connecting with one another so that we can see the wonder of how amazing it is, this impact that Jesus has done. So I'm personally really excited about that. I hope that you guys are as well. It's going to be really fun. And I think it's just going to be a really huge time of joy and life and hope being kind of poured over us as the Spirit works amongst all of that. So I hope that this message and this stuff was interesting to you. And more than that, that it was impactful, that the Holy Spirit moved and stirred you. And I hope that you're able to go through these next couple of weeks, not just chasing feelings and different nostalgic things, but chasing the the spirit of God and looking for how he's going to work and what his heart in this time actually is. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.